<clears throat> Today we look at one of the best known stories in the Bible, a story of God leading Jonah to a place of repentance. But we want to think about what this, this story is all about. And as I say, it's one of the most familiar stories uh, that uh, people know of the Old Testament, but it is also one of the most misunderstood stories. For a lot of times, there are some details that uh, people don't get exactly right as they, they look at this passage. So we want to look at it very carefully this morning with an emphasis on two things. First, discovering how God leads Jonah to a place of true repentance. And then secondly, what are the characteristics of true repentance? So those are the, the two emphases, uh, emphases this morning as we look at this passage. How does God lead a person to true repentance? And secondly, what are the characteristics of true repentance? Now when we say how does God lead a person to true repentance, God does not work the same way in every single individual's life. There are certainly commonalities. There are things that uh, we all experience when we come to places of repentance, but God works in a variety of ways with a variety of people. But uh, one great verse that is given to us in Romans chapter 2 is that it's the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. So God's goodness, God's grace, God's kindness is quite evident when we talk about repentance. And as we are talking about repentance this morning, it's important to realize that we are talking about an individual that had a quote-unquote saving relationship with, with God. We are talking about a prophet. We're talking about a man of God, but who had gone far afield in his relationship with God and needed to be in a place of repentance, needed to change his mind and heart and, and actions as they related to God. As we begin in this process of looking at how God leads a person to repentance, the first thing we want to note is that God led Jonah to repentance even though Jonah was incredibly hard-hearted and resisted repentance. Jonah was incredibly hard-hearted and was resisting God all along the way. Jonah stood in need of repentance because he was acting contrary to God's word. All the way back in Jonah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, God had told Jonah to arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it. But instead, verse 3, Jonah fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he did exactly opposite of what God told him to do. Uh, he got on ship but went in the direct opposite uh, direction of what God had told him to do. While on ship, he resisted God's discipline and refused to repent even when the great storm came, even when the ship was about to sink. Jonah refused to repent even when the ship's captain, uh, not a Jewish individual, not a person with any relationship with God, called upon Jonah to cry out to his God so that they'd be delivered. Nonetheless, 
Jonah refused to pray to God even when he was exhorted to do so. Jonah was clear in his mind. He knew that everything that was happening was a result of his disobedience. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 12, he said, I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So there was no doubt in Jonah's mind. There was no uncertainty. There was no unclarity. Uh, he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that all these things were happening as a result of his disobedience. But nonetheless, he was not willing to become obedient to God. He was not willing to repent. He was not willing to change his heart, mind, and attitude and actions before God. In fact, instead of repenting, he resisted to the point of committing assisted suicide. Jonah chapter 1 verse 12. The shipmates ask Jonah, what are they to do since this uh, storm had come as a result of uh, Jonah's disobedience? Jonah 1.12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. So rather than repent, Jonah chooses suicide. But it's assisted suicide. He's not willing to jump over the ship. He requires these sailors to throw him over the ship. So what this teaches us are some important truths. First, God's people can at times demonstrate a tremendous resistance to God and exhortations to repent. Even God's people can demonstrate a tremendous resistance to God and exhortations to repent. I think at times we are amazed at people's sinfulness and expect that when they are confronted, they are immediately going to repent, they're immediately going to acknowledge their sin, they're immediately going to confess it, and we'll see changes in their lives. But unfortunately, it doesn't always happen that way. In fact, many times it doesn't happen that way. Some people, and remember, we're talking about people that have a relationship to God. We're talking about people that have been used by God. We're talking about a prophet of God who gets to the place where he'd rather commit suicide than repent. That that's how hearted even a child of God can become. And there are people that choose to commit suicide rather than to repent. Jonah's one of them. And what is amazing to me about this is as you look at Jonah's resistance and rebellion, we have not yet looked at the reason for it. I'm holding off on looking at that reason until we get to it in the text. But I can point out to you that it has nothing to do with any physical suffering on his part. 
You know, uh, Job, of course, is extremely ill. Uh, Job is going through all kinds of hardship and difficulty. And Job's wife says to Job, curse God and die. Just give up the ghost. (laughs) Just end it. Job, why are you going through all of the things you're going through? We can understand people with great uh, physical uh, pain, limitations, hardships, and difficulty, how hard that would be for an individual. Jonah is in great health. No pain, no suffering, no limitations. We can understand emotional stress of people that are going through hardships and difficulties such as Job when his children were taken from him, when when his children were killed, when he lost all of his finances, when he lost all of his resources, when even his friends abandoned him. We can understand people that don't have any support groups, don't have any encouragement, and are going through a lot of emotional turmoil and anguish. Jonah is not experiencing any of that. Jonah has not lost anything personally. Jonah has not suffered in any way emotionally. Jonah has not been abandoned, even on a board ship, when he tells these sailors who have no relationship to Jonah whatsoever that the reason this storm has come upon you is because of my trying to flee from God, their initial response was to row harder. They tried to spare his life. They showed kindness to Jonah. They were on his side. They were trying to help him. Jonah was not experiencing any emotional trauma that drove him to this place. It's all spiritual. I'm not going to get into the details, but it's all spiritual. It's his response to the person and grace of God. And he gets to the place where rather than repent, he's willing to end his life. So how does God bring Jonah to repentance? Well, God led Jonah to repentance by bringing affliction upon him. The affliction is seen as God's instrumentality. Look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. For you cast me into the deep. This is Jonah talking to God. And Jonah says to God, you cast me into the deep. Now let's back up here and realize that it was the sailors who actually threw Jonah into the sea. But even though it was the sailors who threw Jonah into the sea, Jonah recognized God's sovereignty in causing all that came to pass. Jonah said, You cast me into the deep, 
Even though the reason that Jonah is in the ocean is Jonah's own choice. They said, what should we do? Jonah said to the sailors, hurl me over the side of the ship. Throw me into the sea. So it was Jonah's choice. It was the actions of the sailors. And Jonah says, verse 3, you, referring to God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. God was, in fact, bringing all of this hardship upon Jonah. Notice in verse 3, it says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. And then this, your waves and your billows passed over me. Not the waves and not the billows, but your waves, your billows. This is your doing, God. You are at work. But as Jonah utters these words to God, he is not blaming God for all that has taken place. Jonah knows that he himself is to blame. Rather, Jonah is ascribing praise and power to God. Though Jonah was seeking to overthrow God's will, he recognized that God was greater than his than Jonah's plans and Jonah's actions. He recognized that God was still at work. God was in this. He was trying to flee from God's presence only to discover that this sovereign God is in control of all things. Affliction is a powerful instrument of God's discipline and grace. God often uses affliction, hardship, distress, misery, heartache, conditions to humble people and bring them to a place of repentance. For Job said in verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Or as the old NIV translates it, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. Out of my distress, out of my affliction, out of my misery, I cried out unto, unto God. Job, excuse me, David had the same testimony. David had rebelled against God. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. David had committed murder by having Uriah, her husband, uh, killed, but David refused to repent. And as a result, in Psalm 32, he describes some of the misery that he started to go through in his unrepentant state. He said, for day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture was turned to the draught of summer. He's talking about his his bodily fluids. He developed a, a huge a fever. He became physically sick. The psalmist said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept thy word. Psalm 119.71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn my statutes. 
Psalm 119.75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. That in your goodness, in your grace, in your faithfulness, you don't forsake us. But you actually bring affliction, hardship into our lives in order that we would repent. That is a very common way in which God leads people to repent, to let them experience some of the consequences, some of the misery, some of the heartache of their disobedience and their rebellion, to get a taste of what is going to result from a life of disobedience. Next, God led Jonah to repentance by graciously preserving Jonah's life. By graciously preserving Jonah's life. Jonah was drowning. Look at verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. He was drowning. Jonah almost died. Look at verse 7. When my life was fainting away. When my life was fainting away. Jonah was almost gone. He was drowning. And he realized that he was about to die. It was when Jonah's life had almost ebbed away that he called out to God for deliverance. Notice verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I'll say more about that in a moment. And as a result... God provided the fish to save Jonah's life. Jonah 1.17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. The Lord appointed a great uh, fish to swallow up Jonah. As you read the passage very carefully, you have the account that is given when he is in the fish's stomach. But he begins by telling the story of what happens before he swallowed. And what happened was, he was drowning, and he cried out for God for deliverance. But even then, his repentance wasn't complete. Even then, he wasn't ready to do what God wanted him to do. He simply wanted his life spared. And God, in his grace, spared Jonah's life by having this great fish swallow him, keeping him from drowning. But God did not bring him back to the surface. God did not cause the sailors to jump in after after, uh, Jonah and rescue him. The God-appointed means was for this fish 
to, sw to swallow Jonah. Now, the commentators love to talk about the fish. We don't know anything about the fish. Uh, we know that you know, the story is always of Jonah and the whale. The Bible doesn't say it was a whale. It doesn't say it wasn't a whale. We don't know what it was. It was a great fish, all right? Um, but what we do know, the most important thing is that it was appointed, meaning that God ordained that this fish would swallow Jonah. God was at work. Then the commentators love to discuss, was this a supernatural created fish? Uh, was this something that didn't exist before and, and God made it? How do we understand this word appointed? Well, you don't have to work too hard at that one. For it's a word that is used throughout this story. If you look at, at uh, Jonah 4.6, it says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant. If you look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 7, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. Then if you look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. These are all God's appointments. They're all the same word. It's the same word that's found in our text for God appointing the whale. This is God's ordained activity who is the God, as Jonah had said earlier, of the heavens and the earth. It is the God who is sovereign over all of his creation and uses all of his creation to do his will. The emphasis is that God was at work. This is no coincidence. This is no lucky break. This is God at work answering the prayer of Jonah who cries out for deliverance. Sends this wail. How often it is that God delivers people from affliction even in their sinfulness. There are numerous stories of people who have even attempted suicide and have failed, have sought to take their life and for whatever reason lived through the ordeal. And many times those people have a great spiritual awakening. They come to their senses. They recognize truths and things about themselves and about God in ways they hadn't before. That is not an uncommon way in which God works, but it is a, a wonderful statement of God's grace. How he overcomes and limits people's rebellion, even to the place where sometimes he actually preserves their very life and keeps them from the harm that, that could have come to them the death that so easily could have resulted in their rebelliousness, in their raising their fist towards God, but in his grace spares the lives of people. What a wake-up call that should be. Next, God led Jonah to repentance by giving Jonah a period of time to reflect upon his sinful condition. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it tells us the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's an overarching leading statement for what follows in chapter 2, which is the prayer of Jonah while he's in the fish. As I said, the beginning of the prayer is a recounting of what happens before the fish. But the emphasis is God's activity and Jonah's hardness. For God appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah, and he's in that fish for three days and three nights. That's how long it takes Jonah to repent. That's how long it takes for this ultimate prayer of committing himself to doing the work and will of God. It takes three days and three nights for him to be in the belly of this fish to reflect upon God's goodness and grace in sparing his life. Even after almost drowning, Jonah still wasn't repentant. Repentance did not come quickly in the life of Jonah. God was long-suffering as Jonah ran away, got on ship. God was long-suffering in the storm. And now God is long-suffering even as Jonah is in the fish for three days and three nights. Sometimes repentance does not come quickly, even when people see God at work. Even when people are aware of the things that are happening in their life are a result of their own sinfulness. They can see the consequences of their actions. You'd think if people could get a glimpse of how their sin is hurting them and hurting others, that they would repent. But all too often they don't. And people that formerly were close in their relationship to God still don't repent. I think this is such an important thought to get across because people, I think, have a tendency to believe that, that if people go into great sin or rebellion, it must mean that their whole life has been one of hypocrisy. It must have been a sham. They couldn't really have loved God. They couldn't really be born again. They couldn't really have been serious about their relationship with God. Remember that David is a man after God's own heart. Remember that David commits adultery. David commits murder. And God is bringing all of this hardship and difficulty onto David, Psalm 32. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. It was a year before God sent Nathan to confront David. It was a year that God was working in David's life to prepare him to come to a place of repentance. Two dangers that we need to avoid. Danger number one, thinking that God's people cannot go into great sin and rebellion. They do, and the Bible is filled with examples of godly people 
who do ungodly things and need to come to repentance. Danger number two, thinking that as soon as someone is confronted, as soon as this sin is addressed, as soon as concern is expressed, that people are going to repent. Sometimes it takes weeks. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes years. I don't know the chronology of day one when Jonah gets on ship to the last day that's in the fish. I don't know how much time has elapsed there. I do know that at least a year elapsed in David's life. God is long-suffering. And people, we need to be long-suffering too. We need to allow God time to work in people's lives. So often there is a rush to do the work of the Holy Spirit. To try to bring this person to repentance. To discipline them, to harangue them, to do something to get this thing moving. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. And it's tough to wait. And it's hard to wait. And it's painful to wait of those that watch and those who are affected. Those that are experiencing some of the trauma, the results of this unrepentant individual in their life. But we have to wait for God to work. Let us pray to that end. Let's hold them up before the Lord. Let's recognize his sovereignty. Let us understand that God works behind the scenes. The only reason we know that these events are at God's hand is because the word of God tells us. The only way we know that that storm came was because the word of God tells us that God hurled it upon the waters. The only reason we know that that ship was falling apart is because the word of God tells us that God was at at work. The only reason we know that that fish swallowed Jonah was a work of God was because the text tells us. Why is that important? Because people you don't see written above circumstances, I'm at work. There's no little balloon caption. Here's this misery, here's this heartache, and you see this little balloon caption, God did this. God did this. I'm doing this. But Jonah... When he gets to a place of repentance, the light goes on. Jonah knew on board ship this was God's action. Jonah, when he's almost drowned, says, God, you be here. And he finally comes to a place 
of repentance. It doesn't come quickly. All right, characteristics of true repentance. Got to fly here. Didn't realize how much time I took there. Okay, we're going to move quick. Characteristics of true repentance. First, true repentance turns to God in the midst of adversity and affliction. When Jonah was cast into, into the drowning sea, verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about me. Jonah was drowning. At that moment, Jonah took a new look at God. Verse 7, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. Not that God had ever passed out of Jonah's knowledge or existence, but it is saying, at that point, I called upon God. He wasn't calling upon a foreign God. He wasn't calling upon another entity. He wasn't trying to swim his way to the top of the water. He realized his only way out was God. He turned to God. That's the first step. When people see their only hope is in God. Next, true repentance manifests itself out of an awareness that we were out of fellowship with God. Jonah recognized and confessed that he was out of fellowship with God. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. NIV, so I said I've been expelled from your sight. He knew that he was out of fellowship with God. Remember that Jonah had been running from the presence of God. Verse 3, he ran from the presence of God. Jonah now feels that he is separated from God. In the irony, Jonah got what he wanted. But now the thought of being far from God was terrifying. Before, he thought it would be freedom to be apart from God. Now, it's tragic to be apart from God. That's true repentance. When we see our relationship to God, not bondage, but freedom. That God's law is not a yoke, but it is, again, freedom from bondage. Jonah feels alienated from God, verse 4. Then I said, I am driven from your sight. Nevertheless, Jonah believes that in his death he will be reunited with God. Here's verse 4, and it's very important. Then I said, I am driven from your sight. And there's different translations. I don't have time this morning to go into them all. Uh, I'll just tell you what the ESV is, and I believe it's translated correctly. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I said, I'm driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah at that point thinks he's going to die. Jonah at that point thinks his life's over. He said he called upon the Lord while his life was fainting. That being away. Jonah thinks he's breathed his last breath. He said, 
I've been expelled from your sight. I'm going to die. Yet I shall look upon your holy temple. He had confidence that in his death he would be with God. He had confidence that God would still accept him. God would still welcome him. But God's grace was abundant for God delivered him. Now notice verse 7. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Verse 4 said, I still look again upon your holy temple. Verse 7 says, the prayer came into your holy temple. When I was, when I was driven away from you, I prayed and that prayer came into your presence. The holy temple is the place where God lives. It's the place where God dwells. And Jonah realized he wasn't out of God's presence at all. If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. Even when we feel far, far, far away from God, he's there. Even when we think we have done something that has totally separated ourselves from him and his grace, he's there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. My prayer came into your holy temple. So Jonah rejoices in God's grace. Verse 8, those who pray in vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Much, of, much rather the translation of the NIV, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Jonah came to understand the grace of God anew and afresh. Calling out to God, the only one that can deliver, the only one that can forgive, the only one that can help. So, again, quickly, true repentance makes a commitment of allegiance to God. Verse 9. What I have vowed, I will pay. True repentance lifts God's hands of discipline. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Once there was repentance, the need for discipline was over. The once that he came to the realization of a change of heart and mind and action, true repentance, then the discipline was over. And so the fish vomited him out. That's how the grace of God works. When the disciplinary act of God brings about its desired consequence, the discipline ends. True repentance restores an individual to usefulness for the Lord. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah was not disqualified. 
Jonah was not put on a shelf. Jonah had not committed the unpardonable sin. Jonah had tremendously rebelled against God. And God now restores him to a place of usefulness. True repentance results in a forsaking of our sin and adopting a new course of action. Verse 3 of chapter 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. You see, there's true repentance. Repentance isn't saying, God, forgive me for what I've done alone. True repentance is, God, forgive me for what I've done. I know that I, have should, I shouldn't have done what I've done. And so now there's this change of, I'm describing it as of heart, of mind, and of action. I repent. I acknowledge what I did was sin. I'm turning about. I'm going in a new direction. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. That's repentance. It's when we know that our life is being lived in a way in which it displeases God, we not only ask for forgiveness, we make a commitment to turn about and to go in a new direction. Conclusion. If we are in a state of needing repentance, let us repent quickly. Let us not put ourselves and others through the heartache and misery of rebellion and disobedience, for we have a faithful God. He will bring us to repentance, but we shouldn't come kicking and screaming. I love Psalm 32. Read Psalm 32. Read it over and over again. David talks about that period of time of when he's unwilling to repent. And in Psalm 32, it says, God says, I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not like the horse or the, or the mule, which must be held in with bit and bridle. I love the imagery. Don't be like this stubborn horse who has to have this bridle put in his mouth and reins pulling him back to do what it does. God says, I will guide thee with mine eye. I remember as a, as a teenager, and I'd be sitting across the church, no, I could sit wherever I want as long as my father could see me. That was the rule. And, you know, sometimes I get a little fidgety. Uh, sometimes we're not the best listeners over there in the corner that we should have been. And my father would look at me. That's all it took. Didn't have to say a word. He just looked at me. And if I was wise, I knew that you better knock it off or you're going to have to deal with this later. God says, I'll guide thee with mine eye. We can, we can be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. We can be convicted. God can at work in our heart. We can read the Scriptures and know that God wants us to repent, and we can quickly repent. Or we can be like that stubborn mule who refuses, even though we know what God wants us to do, even though we're bringing hardship to ourselves and others, we can say, no, I won't. Don't do that. Don't do that. Repent quickly. <laughs> Spare yourself and others. And if you're in the miserable situation of living with or experiencing the consequences of someone who is very unrepentant, be patient.
let God work. See God at work. You're not going to get any speech balloons that says, I'm at work. You need to perceive it. Just look at circumstances, look at activities, look at things that are taking place in people's lives and say, God's at work. God's at work. Let God work. Second Timothy, it says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting the opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Be patient. God may grant them repentance. But let's truly repent. Let us not just want to be delivered as Jonah wanted to be delivered from drowning. But let us get to the place of true repentance, which took place when he was in the fish, when he made the vows and said, I will do what God wants me to do. I will rejoice in my salvation. And his life was changed. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us this day. If there is someone here who is in need of repentance, Lord, that they have chosen a way of life that they know is very displeasing to the Lord. They know that that's not what God would have them to do. That's not how God would want them to live. And they're even beginning to see some of the negative consequences in their own life and the life of others. Oh, Lord, grant them repentance. Bring them to a place of a change of heart and mind and in action. Oh, Lord, if there are people here that have been offended, wounded, hurt, suffering as a result of living with or being around someone that is extremely unrepentant, grant grace, grant patience, grant hope and trust in you. Let them believe that you'll work when you are sovereign. You control not only the seas, not only the fish, not only the storms, not only the plants, not only the worms, but Lord, our hearts. Sovereignly work in the hearts of your people, bringing your people to places of repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.